If you brought your scriptures with you, you can turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And if not, you can just look on the back of your bulletin, and we're going to follow <clears throat> verse by verse, then fold into that scripture. I'm going to apologize in advance. I took some antihistamines, and I'm all dried up, so I'm going to do a lot of drinking in front of you tonight. I'm sorry. But you'll be able to hear me better. Advent is really the beginning of the Christian year. Um, it prepares us uh, for the great celebration of Christmas. And, and you can't really celebrate unless you prepare to celebrate. And so there's this period that comes before Christmas that is this, that, that, that's a good reminder. If you turn off your beepers and cell phones, let me remind you again, that'd be great. Unless that's somebody's hearing aid. Don't turn that off. <clears throat> Just adjust it. So, so there's, there's this sense in which this, this, is a, this is kind of a sober and somber time of preparation for the greatest of all celebrations, save that of the, res- of the crucifixion and resurrection. Um, but, but the story that we're going to talk about tonight is about interruptions. Here's a young couple who probably just wanted a normal courtship and marriage. And all of a sudden, she's pregnant. And all of those dreams of normality are out the window. And what looks like a tragedy, what looks like more than an inconvenience, they have to deal with this kind of interruption. Now, here's the key. Many of you live life interrupted all the time. And many of you deal with interruptions in different ways. But the key, the important uh, determinant in the interruption is, is it just one of life's interruptions that will go away? You know, life has those little bumps in the roads and they'll go away and you'll never think of them again. Or is it one that will never go away? In which case, it's not just an interruption. It is an intervention from God. It has something has come from heaven and life is never going to be the same again. And some of you are in a situation exactly like that. You have just come to a place in your life that you never thought you'd be. And it's something that isn't going to go away. It's not a mere bump in the road. It's not a mere interruption. It is an intervention. And it looks like a huge problem to you right now. This is for you. I want you to turn, as I said, to the first chapter. And, and we aren't going to deal with the first uh, 16, 17 verses because uh, that's the spiritual genealogy or heritage of Jesus. And I say spiritual because it comes through Joseph. And Joseph, of course, was not Jesus' biological father. Almighty God was his biological father. But everyone has a, a genealogy and a heritage, and you do too. And, and, uh, and, and it's kind of unusual if you, if you pay a little attention to this. You look through it. There's some unusual characters here. You know, a, 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 a proud Jew would never have mentioned in his genealogy what was mentioned in the, gene, in the, in the heritage of Jesus here. First place, he'd never mention a woman. Uh, a, a, a Jewish man, a, a, a righteous, proud Jewish man prayed three things every day of his life. He, he, three, three prayers of thanksgiving. I thank God I wasn't born a Gentile. I thank God I wasn't born a slave. And I thank God I wasn't born a woman. He prayed that. Now here in this genealogy, there's women. Not only women, <laughs> but ornery people. Ornery people. You got some ornery people in your background, don't you? You can think of some ornery people in your family. Doesn't mean you have to be ornery, but there's ornery people here. And so, you know, some of these women, one's a prostitute, one's an adulteress, one's not a Jew. I mean, talk about another barrier. You don't know, not, this not only breaks the barrier between men and women and saints and sinners, 
But between Gentiles and Jews, all of those are in Jesus' background. And so from the very beginning, Jesus is set for this breadth of influence. And it looks like you're coming to kind of a pattern here where you, where you can kind of tell what's going to come. Because it's 14 generations to David and then it's 14 generations to the exile and then it's 14 generations to the Messiah. And by the time things get to the Messiah, they've already gone through the highs and the lows and now it looks steady. Some of you have lived your life like that. You've had highs and you've had lows. And now it's kind of looking steady here. And you think, well, well this is pretty much how it's going to be. <laughs> and then there's this first word in the 18th verse. Now. Now. See, there's a little notice here. Things are about to change. Some of you, that word got past you and you didn't know that things were about to change. But now you know. Now. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Let me remind you what this is in the Hebrew culture. In the Hebrew culture, there was a, there was a, a step in between engagement and marriage. When you, were a, when you were a young Jew, you could be engaged from the time you were a child. You could never, you could never have seen your fiancé. Uh, because marriages were arranged by either a professional matchmaker or by the families. Marriage wasn't something you trusted to the heart. Um, and, so, and so you were engaged sometimes from, when, from the time you were a little kid. But right before you got married, a year before you got married, you became betrothed. Now, if you grew up and, and you were a teenager and you got to see your, your engaged partner and you looked at him and go, no. <laughs> uh, you could do that and, and, and you could break the engagement without any legal proceedings. But not so a betrothal. A betrothal was a legally binding relationship. You were not yet in marriage. You didn't have the privilege of marriage. You weren't living together, but it was a legally binding relationship. And so you could not break a betrothal without a divorce proceeding. And that's the state in which Joseph and Mary are. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Good news or bad news? It looks like bad news. See, they just, they just wanted... They just wanted what they had to continue and to grow from there. Why is it that God doesn't just leave well enough alone and let the good times grow from there? Many of us have expected that we would go through a certain process. It's been a wonderful ride and then boom, something comes along. You expect to always it be like that, only better. And then boom, something comes along. We were at a, a get-together uh, Friday night for Howard and Beverly Dayton kind of a sending off party for them. Many of you know Howard. He's the founder of Crown Ministries. Um, and many of you know that Crown Ministries is merging with Larry Burkett's ministry, uh, Christian Financial uh, Services. And, and, uh, and so, and Howard's going to be taking over for Larry. And, and it was a no-brainer who was moving because Howard's got like eight at his headquarters and Larry's got like 140. So Howard's moving to Gainesville, Georgia. And we're going to miss him. Howard's been a tremendous influence in this community. And a tremendous influence in, in, in uh, the ministry uh, around the world. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have taken this course. Um, and so there were people kind of gathered around. And they were from different generations in Howard's life. You know, there were, there were people who knew Howard before he was a Christian. They knew him in high school. You knew, knew his nicknames. Uh, and then there were some people who were with him at the beginning of, of the formation of Crown Ministry. They helped him launch it. 
And then there were some people who had just come in along the way. And I'm sure Howard was, you know, mid-50s, you know, or whatever. And he's just thinking, well, this is great. This is just going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And we'll just be like it is, and it'll just get better and better. And then God said, boom, no, I got something else for you. And it was this overwhelming opportunity. And I'm sure he was uncomfortable with that. I'm sure he was, he was at first resistant to that. Why does God do that? You know, some of you were in this church when it was just a regular old church. It was just a little group of people in a roller skating rink, and we were just kind of doing church. Yeah. And, and, and then about, about three years after I got here, God said, you know what? I got something new for you here. I got this, I got, I got this thing. You're, you're systematically training Christians to be immature. You know that? No, we didn't know that. And he said, you're not concentrating on any subject long enough that they can build it into their character before you move to another subject. I want you to talk about one subject a year. So, so I came back and said, well, God wants to talk about one subject a year. And, and people had a lot of questions about that. One, uh, that's kind of boring, isn't it? You know, we're going to talk about one thing a year. And, and, and we're, going to talk about, we're, we're not going to talk about holiness until 1997. You know, what's up with that? A lot of resistance. But during that time, because God had, had done that with us, we went from about 500 people to over 5,500 people in worship. And, and it was a wonderful ride. And we just thought, well, this is bringing people to maturity in Christ. This is the greatest thing in the whole world. What else is there other than bringing people to maturity in Christ? This will just go on forever. Until a couple of years ago, God said, nope, got something else. The distributed church. See, you're all gathered together, but when you go out, you're pretty weak because the church doesn't go out from the building. And you've got to take church out to where people are. And you've got to start connecting ministries all along. Now, why does he do that? We were perfectly content like we were. That <laughs> bothers me. Doesn't it bother you? But I tell you, God does it because he's God and because he's the God of the living and not the dead. Those of you who have scriptures, you can, you can see, you can read this in Matthew 22, 32. Or, or, or Mark 12, 27, where Jesus said, I'm the God, he, he was quoting God, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of our heritage. But then he says, but God is the God of the living and not the dead. In other words, he's got something new. He creates. It is in God's nature to create. It is in God's spirit to create. You remember those passages. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. Genesis 1, verse 2. And God said, let there be light. The Spirit is an agent of creation. Even when good things are good enough like they are. The Spirit can create even when things are dead. You, you know Ezekiel 37. The prophet was led by the Spirit of God in the wilderness. And the wilderness was full of bones. This valley was full of bones. And through the Spirit of God, he spoke to those bones. And those bones just started coming together. That which is content is not preempted from the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter how content you are. If the Spirit of God is in you, if the Spirit of God is around you, He's going to be creating because that's His nature. And what is our response? Our initial response is almost always negative. Look at what it says in verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away quietly. 
secretly. Some of, some of you have it in your, in your Bibles, in, the, in your versions, that he planned to divorce her quietly. It looks like it never crossed his mind to try to work something out here or even to speak to his wife about it. He just automatically decided, nah, not going to go there. What is there in us that is resistant even to a movement of God? Even if we see it as good at the first... I, I'm, I'm doing this television show and I'm going on all around Central Florida and, and, and interviewing people in all sorts of ministries. And you know, almost without failure, when I ask them, what got you into this ministry? Almost without failure, they say, I didn't want to do it at first. I resisted at first. Last Friday I was talking to John and Mary Murphy uh, uh, who, who are heading up Harvest Time International. This humongous food and supply distribution to poor people. I mean, they supply people overseas, ministries overseas. They supply people in this nation, ministries in this nation. They feed poor people in Sanford. I mean, it's humongous. And I said, have you always had a heart for poor people? I was asking John. He says, well, I have. Even before I knew the Lord, when I went to the store, I felt bad that I could buy groceries and some people couldn't. So I'd always buy an extra bag and just go and, and, and put it on somebody's porch. Then when I met the Lord, he kind of increased the opportunity and and, and one time he said to me, you know, I want to move you to Orlando to expand your ministry. And he said, no. And for three years he said, no. But here's the thing with God. <laughs> he didn't quit. See, if it's, if it's you against God, guess who's going to win there? That's something, we, that's something we all need to learn someday. And sooner is better than later. And so eventually God moved him down here. And, and what was putting a sack of groceries on a porch became approximately 50,000 square feet of supplies for people who were poor. I was talking with Pat Ritz. Pat Ritz, was, who founded a, a Central Florida Helpline, Christian, Christian Helpline. Um, um, this... Uh, she was a fourth grade teacher. And somebody said to her, spoke to her, you ought to start a helpline in Central Florida. And, and she said, uh, in, in Orlando. And, and she said, no, I'm a teacher. I know about kids. I like kids. I don't know anything about adults. Don't know anything about what you're talking about. And she just, of course, drug the heels in, like all of us do. There's always heel marks on the way to the cross. <laughs> and God just drug her along, you know. And, and 14 years later, there's this wonderful helpline available for us all that if you call in, is a, is a conduit to over 600 sources of help in Central Florida. Anything you need, they got. Or if you just need to talk, they talk. But at first she said, no, why? Why is our first response always negative? Why was our first response to the 10-year to the journey negative. Why is the first response to the church distributed negative? Because that's just how we are. Now we have different reasons. Men and women have different reasons. Did you, did you hear this week that, that men and women listen differently? You hear that on the news? You read it in the newspaper? Yeah, they were doing, they were doing this, uh, uh, this experiment in Indianapolis in the med center. And, the, and they were doing MRIs on, on, on men and women's brains as they were listening. And they found out something very interesting. They found out that when women listen, they listen with both sides of their brain. And when, and when men listen, 
they only listen with one side of their brain. <laughs> now, I'm not surprised by that. Is anybody surprised by that? <laughs> no, I'm not surprised by that at all. I've kind of, I've kind of assumed that most of my life. <laughs> now, I, now, let me tell you, this, I'll talk about women next week because we're talking about Mary next week. But it doesn't surprise me because, because when women refuse something, they usually refuse it because they've heard the original question with way too much in it. The original demand, immediately they take it to the third and fourth generation of possible problems, right? And it's this, and then, and then by the time it gets done, I can't do that, that's way too much. See, women, you're using way too much of your brain. You don't need that much of your brain to consider what we're asking. Yeah, you really don't. But I'll get to that next week. Men, <laughs> men do this. Now what now? <laughs> and then they do this. No. <laughs> you know why? Because if a man can't solve something in three minutes, he don't want to mess with it. He don't want to mess with it because that's, you know, we got a lot of capacity left over. See, we've got a lot of potential in there, but we just don't want to mess with it. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph. There's no evidence. Joseph considered this more than a minute. And he just said, I think I'll just divorce her. I'll do it now. I'll be nice. And see, he even had religious reasons. A lot, a lot of times the reason we refuse God for religious reasons. You know that? We can find scripture. Yeah, well, and somebody said, when you're, married to a, when you're engaged to a pregnant woman, well, you just divorce her. As a matter of fact, if you do it publicly, in the old days, she got stoned to death. And so Joseph appeared to be very nice by not having her stoned to death. The problem was, it wasn't sin, it was God. It wasn't a problem, it was a plan. And this is the good thing. As I said before, you can refuse God, but if it's of God, he won't go away. And Joseph was negative. Now, I want you to see the next word in the next verse. Look at verse 20. But. See, you can be negative all you want. But God won't quit. God won't quit. You can't resist God. Who are we to resist God? If it's you he wants, it's you he'll get. And it says, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Let me just pause here and just say to some of you, the very reason you're in this room tonight is because you need to hear these words. Don't be afraid. Do you know how many times in the Bible these, this phrase is used? How many times a prophet says, fear not? How many times an angel says, fear not? How many times Jesus says, fear not? How many times God himself says, fear not? It's one of the most oft-used refrains in all the Bible. Some of you are in a situation right now and your, your socks are being scared off you because you don't know what to do. You don't know how it's going to turn out. And I want to tell you, if the Lord is intervening in your life tonight, if you're facing a situation that will never be 
the same again. I want you to hear these words from God. Fear not. Fear not. It's me who's doing something here, not you. It's not circumstances. It's not luck. It's me. Don't be afraid, he says, to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Do you understand that what you see right now is probably the worst thing that possibly could have happened to you is not. It's the best thing that could happen for others. Do you understand that when you have the Spirit of God who finally delivers to you the perception that you need, the very situation you thought was awful is a blessing. You understand? I understand that, that, that everybody tries to conjure up their, in their own perception a good way to look at things. And you know when you have a problem and you go to people, people just say dumb stuff. People say, don't worry, be happy. See, that's dumb. Like anybody could conjure up happiness on their own. People say, don't be discouraged, have hope. Like, like anybody, if they could, wouldn't be conjuring up hope all the time. Hope is not something of the flesh. Hope is something of the spirit. And there is a time, Christian, that God will come to you Maybe you wish it had already happened and it hasn't, but it will come. And God will give you a way to look at what you're going through. And someday you will say, I would not trade this for all the world. You see, the world is different than the kingdom. There was a play one time where a woman was, was very wealthy. This is, this is one of William Locke's novels, as a matter of fact woman was very, very wealthy. And she tried to fly all over the world and, and take in that which would make her happy and satisfied. And so she, she ate at the best restaurants and she looked at the best art because she, she knew that there, there must be beauty in that art and there must be the deepest things in the world in that art. But she was more and more empty as she went on. Finally one day in Paris she was in the Louvre and she met a Frenchman who was penniless but he was a great, great student of the arts. And he walked around with her in the Louvre. And one by one, he explained each work. And at the end, she said, you know, I never knew what things were like until you taught me how to look at them. Someday you'll say that to God. I never knew what things were really like until you taught me how to look at them. And I want you to know that what you're going through right now, if this is a major interruption in your life, if this is an interruption that won't go away, which is an intervention, I want you to know that it's not an accident. Look at verse 22. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. There is 
that in us that wants to manufacture things and make it okay. As a matter of fact, we spend most of our life with people say, saying, if you just stay busy enough, something good will come out of it. If you just keep busy, then God will have his way. And, and that's not a bad philosophy. It's always better to keep busy than being lazy. But that doesn't mean at the end of the day you can look back and know what that was all about. There's another play called The Black Stranger. It's about Ireland in the, in the middle of the 1800s when there was a famine, potato famine in Ireland. And apparently, this play has the Irish government doing what the American government did during our depression, and that is create a Department of Public Works so they could just get people to work and, and somehow share the meager resources of people just having, having some sort of job. And they put them to work building roads, and there's this little kid in the play called Michael. And he goes and asks those who are working on the roads the very obvious question. Where are these roads going? Where are these roads leading to? And not one person building a road can tell him. And he comes back and he says to his dad, Daddy, they're building roads to nowhere. That's the character of the world. But that's not the character of the kingdom. If God has you on a road right now, you may not know where it's leading to, but I can guarantee you it is to fulfill a plan of God. It is to take you to a place you never would have gone on your own. And it's not just for you. People, when they go through rough times, they think, well, maybe God's trying to test me just to see if I'll hang on. Or maybe God's bringing me to my knees so that I will, I'll finally depend upon him. Well, that's just a small part of it. Because God doesn't do things just for us. He does them always with others in mind so that we can be a blessing to others always. This is to fulfill prophecy. That she, you, she will bear a son so that God's people can be saved from their sins. And call his name Emmanuel, God with us. See, this is another thing. That which is happening in you will somehow make God's grace much more available to people right where they are than ever was true before. You know how most of the progress in this world is, is, is accomplished? It's accomplished through something that's called a disruptive innovation. A disruptive innovation is this, and they had a really great article about these things in, uh, in uh, Harvard Business Review a couple of issues ago. But a disruptive innovation is any event which takes that which can only be done by specialists or experts in one or an inconvenient place. It takes that and it makes it possible to be done by practically anybody anywhere. That's a disruptive innovation. When, when the printing press was invented, that was a disruptive innovation. Very few people before that time had books. But because of the printing press happened, they, everybody could have books. More, more in our own time, a, a disruptive innovation would be, a, an example of that would be personal computers. Three decades ago, if you wanted to use a computer, you had to go to the experts. Talk to this little guy who did a punch card machine. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> Talked in cobalt. And went into this huge mainframe computer that would fill up an entire room. And very few people could have access to it. And only for very technical questions. Nowadays, anybody that wants to 
can have a computer that is much more powerful and they can learn to operate a computer anywhere, can have it anywhere. That's a disruptive innovation. There was a day when if you wanted to use a telephone, you remember the day when not, anybody had, not everybody had telephones? There was a day when there were very few telephones around. And if you had one, you just couldn't call anybody up. You had to ring Bertha, you know? <laughs> Bertha, you there? Yeah, I want to talk to Martha. And Bertha would put you in touch with Martha. Nowadays, anybody in any country, telephone wires or not, can call anyone else in the world. That's a disruptive innovation. It wasn't, it wasn't always that everybody could take pictures. There was a day when if you wanted to take a picture, you had to be a professional. You had to put this thing over your head and hold this thing that exploded. You know, <laughs> don't try this at home. This is only, only for professionals. But because of Eastman Kodak, anybody can take pictures. We're doing the same thing with the distributed church. There will be a day when you don't just go to the experts, you know, in one place and you got to gather in that place to have church. If we're all priests, why can't we have church anywhere, everywhere, every day? Why can't we be connected to each other all around the world? Of course we can. That's a disruptive innovation. But when the Bible says God with us, that was the first step toward a people not having to go to a certain priest in a certain mountain and worship a certain way. It was his first step to God being with you in your everyday life so that if you needed forgiveness or power or healing, it was whenever you were, wherever you were. That was powerful. And so that, which looked like a huge problem and really was a huge inconvenience for Joseph and Mary, was to be a blessing to everyone. In some way, God is working that same thing in your life tonight. And the reason you're here is because you haven't discovered that yet. And you needed to hear about it. Now, if you finally get it through your head that this is something that God is doing for his own purposes, to not only bless you, but to bless others, then you might want to know, okay, how should I respond? And we know how to respond from the last two verses of this passage. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. You do what you need to do to go along with God in what he's doing. It's that simple. Some of you are here tonight because you're heel draggers and God's dragging you all along and you're resisting let me tell you to give it up. Some of you are here tonight and you know God is telling you to do something. Something in order to be obedient to him. Something in order to prize him above anything else on earth. And you've been resisting because it was too inconvenient. You were too embarrassed. There was too much pressure not to do it. And I'm telling you, you're here tonight to hear these words. Start obeying tonight. Turn it over to God tonight. Arise and do as God says tonight. But not only that, when you understand that God has intervened in your life, there's a way of doing things that is more reverent. Look at this last verse. This is an amazing verse. It says, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. They got married, and he did not have sexual relations with his wife. 
Why not? There was no law against it. It was certainly normal and healthy. Why would he abstain from that which he wanted very badly, probably? Well, I can't tell you exactly, but I do know from experience that when you know God has been in your life, there are some things that you'll give up just as a way to revere him. There are some things that you will do that takes you out of casual relations with God. You know, we just prayed this prayer that said, forgive us, God, because we have lived casually. I think way too many of us have this casual relationship with God. Jesus is our good buddy, and God's the man upstairs. And, And I don't want to tell you that God's not close to you and that he doesn't understand when you treat him casually. But I'm saying this to you. You will never have the kind of intimacy with God that comes unless you revere him. Unless you reverence God and do things for him that are special to you because you think they may be special to him. Remember, and I'll tell this and sit down. Remember my first church out of seminary. It was in southern Indiana. It was an integrated church. Back in those days, there were no integrated churches in southern Indiana. Matter of fact, we had KKK guys surrounding ours. But it was one of the best congregations. I just loved that little congregation. And in that congregation, there was this little black girl. Gail Priestley was her name. She was lovely, beautiful little girl. She was just starting her teenage years when I got there. And uh, very shy, very, very shy. And I used to kid her all the time just to kind of bring her out of her shell, you know. And we kind of had this thing going where I'd try to get her to talk. And, you know, she'd kind of giggle. And, you know, and, uh, and so I was there a few years. She was hitting about 15 or 16. And so she came into church one Sunday morning. And I said to her, so, so Gail, did you have a big date last night? Because I knew she would never, I mean, she had never hardly talked to boys, you know. I mean, she was so shy. And I was flabbergasted when she looked at me and she said, as a matter of fact, Reverend, I did. I was just dumbfounded. And I looked at her and I said, well, I'm your preacher. Let me in on this. (laughs) You know, I got to know the stuff. She said something I will never forget. As long as I live. She said, sometimes I do this on Saturday night. At the end of the day, I go into our bathroom and I take a long bath with special soaps with perfumes in them. And I get just as clean as I can possibly get. And then I go and I get into my best dress, my absolute only best dress. And I go and I put makeup on. And I get my face just right so that I am as pretty as I can possibly be. And then I go into my room and I spend time with Jesus. That is my date. (laughs) Do you know how convicted I was of my casual relationship with God? I'm telling you, there's more to obedience than behavior. There is an attitude that is so important and many of us need to do as Joseph did and that is to reverence God, not just act right, 
but reverence God. Pray with me. God, thank you that you will interrupt our lives and that you do. Thank you that even though we many times don't know what it's about and we're frustrated and we're pained and we're embarrassed, but yet, God, we know you've got a plan and we know that you do not leave us alone and we can hear you say, don't be afraid to carry through with this because this is something I'm doing in you and this is something I'm going to do through you. God, tonight, let us recommit to you not only to be obedient, but to be reverent and to recognize that heaven has come into our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Nicene Creed says, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human.